Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, today we are filming from our new worship center, and we will actually be in this space in just a few weeks, uh, worshiping together as a church, and we are very excited about it. Uh, but today we start a four-week series on worship. And you might be wondering, well, why devote a whole teaching series to worship? I'll tell you why. I believe it's because worship is so important that if it gets off track, if the center of the target for worship is not painstakingly clear to you and to me, it will mean disaster for the people of God. I mean, you trace this through the Bible. When the people of God get fuzzy about worship, when they get distorted or off track about worship, it leads to dissension and conflict within the body. It leads to a loss of spiritual passion. It leads to a, a misunderstanding about the nature of God. It leads to uh, cold hearts and empty spirits and the death of community. When it comes to essentials, shared understanding is just critical. The University of Pennsylvania did a survey recently where they found the level of misunderstanding about American government and history among American teenagers is frightening. Uh, they found 37% of teenagers do not know a single freedom guaranteed to them by the First Amendment. They found 48% of American teenagers could not name the three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. One third could not even give the date for the War of 1812. <laughs> okay, I made that one up, that's not true. Uh, they said, as a nation, we cannot afford a vacuum where wise minds and passionate hearts are needed. One witness told the Senate subcommittee, the constitution does not work by itself. It depends on active informed citizens. And there's a very similar dynamic when it comes to our church community. Great worship and ultimately the spiritual life and well-being of our community will not happen by default. It just won't. It rests on a core group of Christ followers who share common values and a very deep devotion to a biblically balanced worship that makes us, uh, marks us as a community. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to devote ourselves to what biblically balanced worship looks like. We're gonna get real clear about it. And today I wanna to hammer home one truth, and that is worship is about God. Worship at its core is God-centered. It's not human-centered. It's not about me. It's not about getting my needs met. It's not about my preferred style. It's not about my personal tastes. In worship, we gather and encounter the presence of the living God. And we declare his greatness and his goodness and his glory with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I wanna to look today at four ways worship gets off track. Four ways worship gets off center and then just commit ourselves to saying, it's not gonna to happen to us. 
We are going to worship in a way that is God-centered. All right, four ways worship gets off track. And the first one is this. Sometimes in some churches, for some people, worship becomes casual. And casual worship is always off track. And I'll give you a picture of this from the Old Testament. Uh, the writer of Second Chronicles says that Solomon built the temple and he filled it with things of great beauty and great value, uh, great gold, including gold shields that were awesome to the people who looked at them, a reminder of the, the goodness and the splendor and the, uh, the, you know, the greatness of God. And, and they were very costly as Solomon intended them to be. And they were expressions of the, the value that people placed on God. Well, in 2 Chronicles, when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam took over, the writer of 2 Chronicles tells us that Rehoboam abandoned the law. He abandoned his devotion to God. And at one point, the king of Egypt came up and plundered the temple. He took away the shields of gold. And then in 2 Chronicles 12.10, there's this statement, but King Rehoboam replaced the shields of gold with shields of bronze. Uh, he replaced the shields of gold, that which was costly and sacrificial, with shields of bronze, that which was cheaper. He didn't omit them. He didn't forget about the temple altogether. He just downgraded them. He replaced them with less costly things. He had a kind of casual approach to worship. You know, when he was in trouble before his enemies, he would go to the temple. He would humble himself before God. When he was uh, in trouble, he would go before God. But when the trouble went away, so did his urgency about worship. He didn't set his heart to seek the Lord. He replaced the shields of gold with shields of bronze. Now contrast that with another scene in Exodus chapter 19, uh, God has delivered Israel from slavery. Uh, they crossed the Red Sea and the prophet Miriam grabbed the tambourine after Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed and began to dance and sing and lead the people. Sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Uh, it's the beginning of corporate worship for the people of God. And then they come to Mount Sinai to uh, encounter God, Exodus 19, verse 10. The Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then down to verse 16. Imagine this scene. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Like imagine for a moment what happens when people uh, encounter the presence of the living in God. Like imagine what happens to them. I wanna ask you to imagine then that some people responded something like this. Imagine that some people were to say, you know, uh, we're going to leave now because we're not really singing the songs that we like to sing at the foot of this mountain. You know, like the tambourine song, like how come we don't get to sing the tambourine song anymore? Or imagine people saying like, 
I don't like it when Moses leads worship. I like it when Aaron leads worship. Like I'm going to come back to the mountain when Aaron is leading. Or imagine someone saying, this worship is too formal. You know, all the smoke and mystery and dense cloud. I like worship to be casual and informal. Or someone else saying, well, you know, this stuff's okay, but I didn't really like it when Miriam did all the dancing thing. You know, it was too uninhibited and like not enough reverence. Or someone else saying, three days is way too long. I mean, this is an inconvenience to my busy life. You know, I don't think that happened. I think that people were filled with awe and wonder and they trembled and they hoped and they feared because there in the middle of nowhere before this bunch of ex-slaves, all of a sudden there's the living God and there was mystery and awe and life. I don't know how else to say this, but do you, do you realize what it is that we do when we gather to worship? I think sometimes we're so used to going into rooms and sitting through things, you know, gathering for an event or a movie or a play or a game or something. We just think of church as one more event that we may or may not attend. We gather to be in the presence of the God of the mountain. We're always in his presence, but when we gather together, we open ourselves wide open to him, to the God who made the heavens and the earth to the God who shook the mountains and roared like thunder, the God who holds your life and mine in the palm of his hand, the God who became flesh and dwelt among us, the God who uh, sent his son to die for us, the God of the mountain, the God of the cross. He is in the midst of the gatherings of his people, just as he was on the mountain in all of his mystery, in all of his greatness, in all of his righteousness. So when we gather to worship, we cannot do it casually. I wanna make some asks of you today uh, so that we're real careful not to become casual in our worship. I wanna ask you, first of all, when you come to church, come prepared to worship. Now, I know it may take heroic efforts for you to simply make it to church. Uh, that may be why you're watching or listening online right now. And I understand that you have jobs and you have commutes and families and kids and schedules and sports and meals all to wrestle with, right? I know it takes heroic efforts to go to church sometimes, but I'm gonna ask that you make one more heroic effort. Don't just get your body there, prepare your spirit, get your heart ready as God uh, asked of his people, prepare. I mean, this is just the truth of human nature. We prepare for what matters to us. Football players prepare, prepare for the big game. Uh, a salesperson will prepare for the big sales pitch. People going on a date, prepare. Maybe you spend more time preparing for the date than actually spending on the date itself. Uh, maybe you actually enjoy preparing for the date more than you actually enjoy the actual date itself. I'm asking when you come, come prepared for worship. Spend some time in the morning uh, before church just meditating on scripture. Play some worship music on your way if that will help you. Spend some time in prayer. If you have time, get there early and just spend a few moments in prayer, confess any sin that could hinder, hinder your connection with God. Just confess it ahead of time. Reflect on what it is that you want to give thanks for. 
I want to encourage you, if you can, uh, come in person next week. And between now and then, do these things so that you're actually ready to worship. And then I have another ask of you. When we're together, invest yourself fully in every moment. The psalmist says in Psalm 66 too, make his praise glorious. That's your job. That's my job. In every moment of worship, just make his praise glorious. You know, I've been at some churches, uh, some worship services where people are just going through the motions. They're bored or they're preoccupied. You can see as they're sitting there, they're just thinking about the shopping list or, uh, you know, thinking of something they have to do later. Uh, when you come to worship, I'm asking you, don't wait for something to grab your attention. Don't wait. Say to God, I am fully present right now. I'm listening. I'm praising. I'm confessing. I'm responding. Every moment of worship, I'm just offering myself to you. So come prepared. Fully invest yourself in every moment. And then I want to ask you, come with a sense of awe. You know, we sing it sometimes. We stand in awe of you because the God who made the mountain shake and the thunder roar and caused the knees of strong men and women to tremble, I mean, that's the God we worship. We have our own mountain that we gather on. Like this is actually the mountain we will be gathering in in just a few weeks. This is the place where we, the people of God, will gather together, and that's an awesome thing. Uh, God is an awesome God. You know, one of my favorite passages in all of literature is from one of C.S. Lewis's books. Uh, you may know the Chronicles of Narnia. In the first book, some children are on their way to meet Aslan, who is the Christ figure, and they're being guided by a husband and wife, and when they just hear the name Aslan, Christ, something happens inside of them. Like the people in the story of Exodus, they're just filled with wonder and awe at things they don't even understand. One of the young girls says, I feel rather nervous about meeting Aslan. And the wife says, well, that you will, make no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And the young girl, Lucy, she says, well, he isn't safe. And the husband says, safe? Like, didn't you hear anything my wife said? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And the Israelites, they come before the mountain and there's clouds of thick darkness and there's thunder roaring and it's God. And they say to Moses later on in the Exodus story, don't let us get too near the mountain. Don't let God get too near to us. We're nervous about this whole deal. We're not sure he's safe. And Moses says the words that have come back to the people of God throughout the centuries, safe. Like, haven't you heard anything? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. Of course God is not some tame, domesticated being that you can just request things of and he's not gonna ask anything of you, uh, never gonna surprise you. Who said anything about safe? But he is good. He's the king. So no casual, no half-hearted worship, not at Blue Oaks because he is the king and he deserves better. So casual worship is off track. Another kind of worship that's off track and it exists in spades in our day is what I wanna call a consumer approach to worship. 
consumer-oriented worship is off track. And this is common in our day because uh, we're trained to be consumers in our day. And if this happens, then the focus becomes my experience. And I approach worship as a consumer rather than a worshiper. I sit back with my arms crossed over my, my, my chest and I, you know, to whoever's leading me. And I say, wow me, you know, do something to grab my attention, do something to catch my interest. You know, if this is your approach, you think about worship the same way you think about going to a movie that you want to critique afterwards. Like you want the particular style of music that you happen to like played. And if it's not, then you withhold your heart from worship. You refuse to give praise and adoration to the God of the universe because you don't like the uh, band or the particular instruments that are being played or the particular leader that you like. You know, if, if you don't get those things, you withhold your worship. And maybe you let other people in your little circles know that this is not your style and this style doesn't meet your requirements for worship. Now, I understand for you and me, as we go through seasons of worship, there will be times when we have thoughts about some aspect that we particularly like or some aspect that we don't. But I'm asking you that you manage those thoughts real carefully and real prayerfully and that you come to worship. You come when you come to worship, you come to give, not to consume. It's not primarily about what I get out of it. That's not what worship is about. Worship is what I give to God. You know, this kind of thing has gone on throughout history. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and there's factions and special interest groups. And he says, I hear that some of you say, I belong to Paul and others say, I belong to Apollos and others say, I belong to Cephas as if you were just consumers uh, of the gospel and you could just choose the particular brand of teaching or leading or worship that suited your own spiritual taste. It's destroying the body. And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 14 to talk about how their worship had become chaotic. People are doing things to draw attention to themselves. Paul says it's got to stop. Is that the focus of worship is God. And so I just want to ask you to search your heart on this one. Is there any kind of consumerism, consumer tainted worship going on in your spirit? I'll be brutally frank. I get comments sometimes, sometimes an email, sometimes face to face. Uh, people will say things like this about the worship that goes on at Blue Oaks. Is it possible that we will ever really worship in this church? Or do you find it necessary to repress the spirit in this church? Or for people pushing for something else? You know, uh, when are we going to worship with some true reverence around here? And what's behind those words when people finally get to the point is when are we going to do worship in my style? When are we going to do the kind of worship that I want to do? And here's what we're going to do at Blue Oaks. We're going to respond to the fullness of God's being, to his holiness and his righteousness and his passion for justice and his honor and his goodness and his compassion and his tenderness and his love and his joy we're going to respond to the fullness of god's being every facet of him every resource that we have at our disposal our minds our hearts our voices our bodies the word proclaimed prayer our response and sometimes 
we will come and we will be overwhelmed by the holiness of God. And that will drive us to our knees like it did Isaiah when he said, woe is me. Sometimes we will come and we will just be undone by the compassion of God, like the sinful woman in Luke 7, when she throws herself at Jesus's feet and pours everything out that she has. Sometimes we will be seized by joy. And like David, when he danced before the Lord with all of his might. But here's one thing that we will not do. We will not be consumers. We gather primarily to give worship to God Almighty. And if that's not your heart, I don't know how else to say it, but you need to repent. You need to repent and get on your knees and say, God, I've been withholding worship from you and I'm sorry. I want worship to be about you, not about me. All right, another way worship gets off track is with what might be called a narrow approach or an unbalanced approach. A narrow approach to worship is off track. In John 4, the Samaritan woman is talking to Jesus and she says, where should we worship God? Is it on the Samaritan place of worship, a place called Mount Gerizim, or is it is the right place in Jerusalem, uh, as you Israelites say? And Jesus explains it's not about geography. God is bigger than that. The time is going to come when people realize it's not about this mountain or that mountain. God is looking, Jesus says, for people who worship in spirit and in truth. And the mistake this woman makes that maybe you're making as well is we think the only people who get worship right are the people in our little group who do it in our little style on our little mountain. Unless you think this is not a danger, you need to know there are whole books and articles that are written on the topic of what is, what is known as worship wars. The single most common topic in church fights is what style of music should we use to honor the God who died to make us one? <laughs> I mean, that's the single most common subject for church fights. At Blue Oaks, we've decided whatever brings honor to God and will make worship accessible to the maximum number of people that we want to bring into our church. That's what we're gonna do. Whatever brings full honor to the fullness of God and is most accessible to those around us that we want to have come into our worshiping community. That's what we're gonna do. In a lot of churches, worship wars have become generational warfare. The old and the young becoming divided in a power struggle over worship style. You know, one of the signs of the maturity of a congregation is it's a place where all kinds of generations can come together. And that's a challenge because we live in a world that just separates people by age. And you know what? I want you to know that we have people in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s on our worship team at Blue Oaks. It's a beautiful thing. At the heart of this church is this thought, this value, Instead of focusing on my taste, my wants, my wishes, I pray to God we will do worship in a way that honors Him and makes worship accessible to everyone we can. And to keep saying to new generations, you come in too. We're not hoarding this treasure for ourselves. We will keep singing to the Lord a new song and a new song and a new song, and we want you to teach us how to sing it. Jesus makes a classic statement I want you to consider when he's responding to the Samaritan woman, he says, the father is looking for those 
who will worship him. And then he has two adjectives in spirit. That is not just with outward conformity on the right mountain and so on, but with their spirit and a heart and passion and soul. And then he says in truth for the Samaritans, one of their problems was they only accepted the first five books of the Bible. They didn't know about the God of the Psalms, the God of the prophets and so on spirit and truth. It's kind of a balance thing going on there. There are some individuals, some churches that pride themselves on having a lot of spirit in worship, lots of emotion and passion, but there's little concern for truth for their mind. Now the choruses may be real individualistic or express bad, theolo bad theology. Like everything gets to be about trying to engineer a feeling, but there's no thoughtfulness to it. They don't love God with their mind. I think it was Tony Campolo who told about a guy who's, uh, who would come to worship service every week and he would make this big production about standing up and praying real loud, fill me Jesus, fill me Jesus during the worship time. Every week he would pray that, but then he would go away and he would live a selfish life. He would deceive people. He was greedy and so on, but he'd come back to worship and you know, during the, the worship time, he would stand up and he would pray, fill me, Jesus, fill me, Jesus. One lady finally got sick of it. When he got up one more time, she said, you know, and he was like, fill me, Jesus, fill me, Jesus. She said, don't do it, Jesus, he leaks. <laughs> you see, here's the problem. When it comes to worship, reliance on an emotional experience is not enough because you leak. You leak and I leak too. If you find that your goal is primarily in worship, the production of a certain emotion, then you're not really worshiping. You're just shopping for feelings and you'll go to whatever is the best store. When a church service just becomes a tool designed to elicit certain emotions, a church may get really good at eliciting those emotions, but that's not worship. Maybe you need to grow in the truth element of worship. And you need to think about the words that you sing and pray. You need to spend some time in the serious study of scriptures so that you get a, a fuller picture of who God is. Maybe you need to read great books. You know, one of my favorite favorites is written by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, it will deepen your understanding of God. Maybe you need to do that. Then there are churches and individuals that consider themselves zealous for the truth. You know, they drown people with information. They take a lot of pride in doctrinal correctness. But when it comes to worship, no one there has ever been so moved that they actually moved. <laughs> I grew up in a church that was more like that. Uh, I'm not very expressive. I'm not a demonstrative person by nature. And I grew up among Baptists who generally are not very expressive. We didn't move very much when we worshiped. I remember singing a song, an old song, maybe you know it. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Like we did the whole thing sitting down. Like no one even thought about it. We were just that way. I remember getting a letter from a man once a while ago. And basically this is what he said. He said, the songs are just the preliminaries. The message is the main event because that's when we get information. So let's just cut down on the preliminaries and just get to the main event. You need to hear me say this as the teaching pastor. Worship is the main event. Declaring the glories of God, experiencing his presence, that's the main event. Like what do we do that's more important than that? Maybe you need to open your heart to worship and say, God, my faith is all in my head. 
and I really need you to touch my heart. Maybe God's calling you to be more expressive. Do you watch sports? Now watch the Warriors win the NBA Finals, watch the 49ers win the Super Bowl, watch the Giants win the World Series. Uh, the demonstration, the expression uh, is just unbelievable. I mean, arms up in the air, everyone's jumping up and down, grown men are hugging each other and kissing each other and high-fiving each other. Maybe you need to say this, well, God, you know what? I'm not gonna raise my hands up in the air like that because I'm not celebrating an NBA Finals or a Super Bowl victory. But since we are celebrating that Jesus died for my sins and saved me from hell and overcame my guilt and was raised from the dead and will share his victory with me forever, at least I'm gonna like open up my hands a little bit like this. And I just wanna be real clear about this. It doesn't mean that I'm gonna worship in a way that draws attention to me. That's not what I'm talking about. All right, last thing, last kind of worship that gets off track is worship that is disconnected from your life. Worship that is disconnected from the way you walk through your days. Worship that is disconnected from your life is off track. I think this is the worst and the most serious one of all. And if you read through the prophets, this is one of the most prominent themes. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says this, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. Worship is meaningful to God only to the extent that it is a reflection of the authentic desires and intentions of my heart on a daily basis. And so I wanna ask you to consider, are you honoring God with words when the truth is your heart is far away and you're not even making a serious attempt to align yourself? I wanna close with this. Uh, I asked this of you today, at least as a start, if there is a, if there's been a gap between your worship and your life, I'd like to ask you today, if you'd be willing to say to God, God, I don't wanna just say words. I wanna give you my heart. I wanna give you my life. And that may take a while. You know, you'll have to do the hard work of counting the cost uh, financially, relationally, behaviorally, emotionally. But the ultimate truth is worship is for sinners. Like if you had to be perfect to worship, no one would worship. The amazing thing about God is God says, these people come to me with their mouths, and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is just rules taught by men, but therefore, what does he say? I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder, and God did. And the astounding thing, the wondrous thing that God did was send his son to this earth to be with us. God looks at us and the gap between what we say and what we ought to be, and he says, therefore, I will astound these people. And all of the judgment is poured out on his son. And that's why we can gather. And that's why we can worship. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray that as we work through this series, that we would become the kind of worshipers that worship you in spirit with all of our, our heart and soul and mind and strength. Um, and our emotions 
I pray that we would get caught up in how good you are, how loving you are, the sacrifice that you've made for us. And would we express that? Would we, would we make your uh, praise known? Would we glorify your name? And God, help us to worship in truth. Help us to, to root ourselves in your word, in your truth, in who you are, in your character, and an understanding of the God of the universe. And the, the songs that we sing, the words that we say, help us to, to, um, to reflect on them and to understand them and to know them. And so that they become very meaningful to us as we worship you. God, help us to be the kind of people that worships you in spirit and truth. When we gather together in this place <laughs> and uh, wherever we gather to worship you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.